2: Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest, can't miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBC SN and Peacock Premium. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. The two most important incidents from the second half. The Lukaku chance before the goal, Robbie.
3: Yeah, it's two Belgian superstars, Rebecca, who have contrasting fortunes. We talked to half-town about creating a chance for Lukaku. Chelsea do it just after half-time, he gets played through. And I think when you've been bought to this football hook for this kind of money, I think you've got to be
4: finding the back of the net as it flies it over. And with that, the chance had gone.
2: And then the goal, Dan.
4: Ah, well, from De Bruyne, he's just an absolute genius. It's a lovely ball in from Cancelo. And then he just lets it go into his path. Conte tries to bring him down to no avail. He doesn't go down. And it's just a brilliant strike. He actually uses Silva and bends it around Silva. But you just see with Kepa, he takes one step to his right, so he's never going to get back into position. And it's been a criticism of Kepa that he's been beaten far too often from outside the box, but take nothing away from De Bruyne. Absolutely outstanding finish, from a world-class player.
2: Well, Chelsea got themselves into positions, didn't they, certainly in the first half, to do better and to get something out of this game. Do you think that they will feel they fought hard enough to stay in this title race today, Robbie?
3: Well, if they are taking the chances that came along with back, listen, you go to Manchester City, you go to the Etihad, you know they're going to have more ball than you, you know they're going to create things, but Chelsea had good looks at the goal. But when you look at this Manchester City team, and it's a day when you're thinking, oh, are they going to do it? They believe in their football, they believe in what they do, and there's one man that sort of sums up what City are, just understated brilliance, it's Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, he rides a tackle to show physicality. He's got the football IQ to understand when the chance is there. And he has a technical ability to find the back of the net. And that 12 wins are on the spot. Puts Chelsea out of the race and pretty much
4: hands the title to them.
2: The difference between City and Chelsea today was?
4: In general, individual brilliance. I look at Manchester City. They've got players that can create something from nothing. And there's a number of them in the team. Chelsea haven't had that play since Eden Hazard left. And that's the problem. And they had a couple of good chances. but didn't take advantage, but they're, they're the difference makers, the individual brilliance within that man team.
2: Do you think when they were buying Lukaku, they thought they were buying that?
4: I think they were, but at the end of the day, when you buy a play like Lukaku, you have to build a team around him. They've not done that. But he gets a one-on-one, Dan,
3: just at the half-time that we looked at. That's why you're buying Rebecca. You buy a centre-forward to get you those goals in those games and then you might be able to hang on. That's a big, big miss for for Lukaku
4: in the game and then De Bruyne goes and does what he does. Yeah, and that that, that is the difference. You know, Manchester City, the way they go about it. Chelsea and Manchester City are both collectives. We know how how many um, different goal scorers they have. But, when the pressure's on, Manchester City have this individuality which is on another level.
2: Title race done?
4: Done. Great time.
0: David, you've scored some important goals in your time, but that must be right up there.
5: Yeah, obviously, you know, it's a big game. And um, I think, um, yeah, they came here, they had, a, they had a very good plan. They were very tight defensively, but I think we, we played a pretty good game and... Uh, yeah, obviously it's nice to to score the goal. It's important because we it's, it's the only one. Uh, but I think the team played very well today.
0: Feels like a huge step to the title, no doubt.
5: But I think we knew uh, if we win today, we make the gap bigger on, on them on the title. You know, um, we don't have to look at that. Uh, we've been in this situation before where where we had points ahead, but even I think uh, the second year we were the same points behind, and uh, a lot a lot of Things can change and the momentum can swing very quickly, but I think the team was focused on the on the job that they needed to do and that's the only, only thing that we really can do. You pretty
0: much bossed possession out there today. Just that one bit of quality from you. Just got away from Kante and then used the defenders to curl it around. Nice,
5: yeah, I think uh, I just got, got away from him uh, on the right time and um, I, I was looking where the spaces are, but they were dropping off, dropping off. So uh, then I, I just found that little angle and, yeah, it worked perfectly.
2: That's an understatement what our commentary team at the mm. had for this one on Peacock this morning. Lee Dixon and Arlo Ike. Nobody can live with Manchester City chaps.
6: They certainly can't. Twelve wins in a row and they've broken the back of the title race, really, haven't they? Only Liverpool realistically maybe, be able to hunt them down and that's a long shot. Um, Tail of two Belgians in a way, if Lukaku record signing takes that chance it's a different story and it allowed Kevin De Bruyne to curl home the winner is that the difference between the sides at the moment
7: um, it's the obvious difference I think that uh, you know the boys talked about it in the studio about that miss just before the goal and uh, before half time and uh, you know when that if that goes in then it completely changes because the plan was the plan was decent mm. in the first half from Chelsea didn't really create an awful lot Man City had a lot of possession but then when that chance is missed, you kind of go, do you know what, it's going to be one of those moments. And City are so relentless, the way that they just grind you down. They never give the ball away. They're always probing at your weaknesses. And eventually they will break through at some point. And the fact that it was Kevin De Bruyne the fact that it was such a brilliant goal... Um, just typifies this group of players and, and what Pep's got at he, uh, you know at his fingertips, and he can, they can change the direction of, of, of attack at any moment, and you know it goes from one to the other, and you're fascinated by him mm. watching Silva, and the next minute it's De Bruyne and. Folded. It's just relentless. And they're just a brilliant football team and
6: no one's going to stop them. Not from winning the league. Chelsea's season, Rebecca, is not over. They're still fighting on four fronts at home and abroad in cup competitions. But as far as the Premier League goes, surely it's a bridge too far for them.
2: Arlo Lee, thank you very much indeed. As you say, Liverpool the only ones really realistically who can catch them, but they have uh, 14 points to make up and two games in hand. Um, but they don't have Mane yeah. and Salah, of course, for the rest of this month. How do we view this Manchester City team? It wasn't a, two or three weeks ago, Robin Musto sat in that chair and yeah. said, This is the best team we've ever seen in yeah. the Premier League.
3: We're getting to that point, Rebecca. We talked about it, didn't we, before the game in the warm up shots, where, you know, usually at this stage, people have worked it out. And, and try to, to, to stop it, or they copy it because it's that good. Teams can do neither. It, 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 it's different. It's possession-based. It, it, it's people finding different routes. It's getting in areas that hurt you. And it's all being done, by the way, without a recognised centre-forward. Generally, every team that wins a title has a 20-plus goal man at the top of the pitch. Pep's doing it different. And today, it was Kevin De Bruyne's day. We've seen... Bernardo Silva's day, we see Raheem Sterling, the player of the month in December, he has his time. Some individual, at some time, with all that possession, finds a way to win them the game.
2: If I'd said to you that in January they would be 14 points clear of Liverpool mm. and 13 clear of Chelsea without a recognised centre-forward, if I'd said that in august you wouldn't have believed me. You? You.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't hire Chelsea as my favourites after they signed Lukaku, but... What Manchester City do, and I go back to Arteta when he played. Obviously, Arsenal played Manchester City early on in the season when Manchester City beat them five nil. He said that Guardiola's dream is a false nine, and you can see how everything works. And the beauty of this Manchester City team, yes, you've got the goalkeeper, you've got the back four, and the one defensive midfielder. The rest of the team, they just go all over the place, and it's so hard to mark. But it's coordinated. Yeah, down, isn't it's, it? it's it's coordinated, going all over the place. It, it's as well. so difficult because as a defender. You want a man to mark. You can guarantee, you look at the back five of Chelsea today, at one time they will be marking four or five different players, and it's so difficult to deal with. And it's not necessarily the man on the ball, it's the space created by other runners, and they just always find a way.
3: And at the start of the season, backs, we, we sat here and said, It's a four horse race. And then United were inconsistent. We went, It's a three horse race. <laughs> and we're, we're mid January. Is it a two horse race? And it, it's still a, a two-horse race of with Liverpool. Liverpool win the two games and then with someone else. But we've seen Manchester
4: City in the past. We know Pep's teams, they're not they, going to get this they, they manage games really well because they've got players that can play multiple positions. They can rest players at certain times because they've got other players that can come in and play all over the pit.
0: Pep, that's a, a massive result in the context of this season. That, one that you feel well-deserved?
8: Absolutely. Absolutely. In terms of possession, in terms of... No, no, well, no. G- the way we played, mm. everything we have done. So we cannot forget against which team we, we played. So the European champion, and you are there in the touchline, and you realise how incredible they are. So and you try to find the spaces, but they are not. So they defend duels, and and yeah, it's, uh, you know, football. they waiting for the transition to punish us, and we won for one transition. So... Um, but uh, with how good they defend, we create enough chances to win, especially the intention to go to try to win the game from the minute one. Uh, the only problem we had is because after 1-0, they make a step up, and uh, in that moment, we make transitions, and we lose. And when you open the game with Mason Mount at the end, with Hudson Odoi, with Timo Werner, with Lukaku, now is in dangerous position. But uh, again, the team was incre- were brilliant. And you, talked, you mentioned the goal, the transition, looking for that moment of pure class. And, and Kevin De Bruyne, he always
0: delivers it, doesn't he?
8: Yeah, yesterday we spoke together and said, uh, so since we were together, because for day one we are together, you know, all we have, we won. what we have done, uh, we have done it together. So, and I want to push him to do it more and more and more because as a, a world-class player, a world-class player, and have humility and humble to do everything for the team. And it's not easy to find that. It was player of the year in this country, what means we won. We won he won with the team three Premier Leagues and a lot of prizes. And uh, I still have this, that, but I want more. I want more of him because I know he can do it. And today, the action that he has done. It's long time I could not see it, and I'm so satisfied for him, and he battles through injuries, he does the hard work, he sees the crazy pass He's he's a priceless player in, in the context of modern football now yeah absolutely he has everything He just missed a little bit of confident decision he's struggling a little bit, <laughs> but he knows what he can do It's an incredible love for, for all of us for that fact you know another guy, after being what he is and uh, a lot of prices could behave another <laughs> step and it's completely different so I think his mum and dad has to be so proud yeah, and you kept the intensity throughout the
0: team through the match and in fact Chelsea didn't have a shot or a corner in the first half which
8: shows yeah. how solid you were yeah I would <coughs> be able in 180 minutes in this year concede one should on target against this team so this is different well and sometimes you can defend well back or more up and it doesn't matter what. the uh, you know, the way Raheem and Jack and everyone make it, they give everything. So we spoke against that team. I saw the game against Liverpool, the games against Tottenham. It's a, an outstanding team. It's a, and, and be able to control them through the ball and create the spaces like it's so difficult. They defend inside, they allow you. So as uh, win all the duels, <laughs> win the duels, are the same. So is in a fantastic team, so that's why I give a lot of credit. So one of January, I think we were one point down behind the Chelsea. One first of January, so we are in the you know, today I don't know fourteen or fifteen uh, February. We are in that distance. So twelve victories in a row is incredible. So but, yeah, but keep
0: going. Yeah, last one. Then Newcastle blew a twelve-point lead in ninety-six. Man United blew an eleven-point lead in
8: ninety-eight. <coughs> Nobody's like a thirteen-point lead now. Listen, that would be a problem now. Is. Uh, is for granted. We have to say if Liverpool win the, the game in hand, so it's eight points. So it's not not that uh, the position like Chelsea. But uh, now my job is take out in the in the the brain in the heads of my players what, uh try to don't believe what the people is going to say. So I put an example many times recently. So we were winning in the 45 minutes for zero against Leicester, and in 20 minutes for three. So. Of course, we are more than pleased the position that uh, that we are. But <laughs> a lot of job to do, and my job is tell them. And I'm pretty sure I will do it.
2: Well, at half time in that game with Manchester United leading and leading comfortably, mm. you said, Robbie Earle, yeah. that's the best 45 minutes we've seen under yep. Ralph Ragnick. Mm-hmm. What do you say now?
3: that Manchester United got themselves 2-0 up in the position where they should go on and win the game, get the victory, get the three points, and they couldn't. And the reason that they couldn't is they ran out of steam and they didn't have the organisation and the game management to see it through. If you haven't got the legs, you have to be really well organised, not make mistakes, not get turnovers and be solid. They weren't, but you have to credit Aston Villa for that. Steven Gerrard, Rebecca has got this ability at, at, at half-time or during games to change things, to affect matches. He did it with the way that his team started, he did it with the introduction of Coutinho, and in the end, they deserved a point.
2: Just quickly, they haven't got the legs. It's yeah. January. How can they not have mm. the legs?
3: Well, because they've been playing in a system where they're been passive, where they've been sitting in, so they're just not used to getting around the pitch for 90 minutes, and that's
4: something that probably won't get addressed until we go pre-season in the summer.
2: Let's credit Villa.
4: Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic in the second half. We said it's all about the intensity at half-time. And, and Villa came out and they got stronger. Manchester United got more tired. First half, Manchester United had a 55% possession. The second half, 32% possession. And as Robbie said, is that you can't have contrasting styles and expect the players to be able to do that. You can't get players fit during the middle of the season. It's as simple as that. And the problem is, the more tired you become, the more you lose your concentration, then you lose control of the game. And that's what Manchester United did in the second half.
2: Yeah, they were comfortable at one point, but it ended up being three points thrown away, just a one point apiece. Philip Coutinho off the bench on his Aston Villa debut with his first Premier League goal since 2017. And it gives Aston Villa a point against Manchester United 2-2. Let's hear from the man who set to mark Jacob Ramsey and Coutinho himself.
9: Guys, well played. Philippe, they were already quite excited about you. You must be delighted to have made really the perfect start.
10: Yes, uh, I miss these games, I miss, you know, the Premier League. And like I said before, I'm very happy to be here uh, to know my new teammates. Uh, So, yes, it was a good start. Uh, I think we had had a good game. Uh, We keep believing until the end Uh, we could win the game. But, uh, you know, we didn't lose, and we move on. How did you feel
9: about the day before it all got started, being announced to the crowd, you're a big news sign-in?
10: Quite nervous, maybe? Yes, a little bit. You know, I, like always, I, I don't speak English very well. I, I prefer prefer I do. I prefer <laughs> to play, uh, to be on the pitch, than, than you know, to keep saying, uh, keep talking. So... I'm happy. It was the first game, so we we'll move on. I, I want to work hard to to improve and you know uh, be in better shape. But it's not
9: just the day that you scored on your home debut. It's also the day that Jacob Ramsey scored his first Villa Park goal. So at Villa lad, that must mean the world to you, Jacob. Yeah, I think I've scored um, three goals now in the Prem. Uh, first two were both away, and uh, I think I said to myself that next one's got to be at home. Um, obviously, I had the one disallowed against Leicester. Um, but, yeah, I'm happy to get my first Philippe apart goal. OK. The feeling, then, when the whole end erupts and the ball hits the net? Our whole end, singing your name, coming through the academy. That's what dreams are made of. Um, yeah, um, when the ball hit the back of the net, I'm buzzing. Um, but then we're still 2-1 down, so we got to go again. Yeah, exactly. So, at that point, it's just a consolation. So, you must feel even better when you roll one across the box for... Philippe. Yeah, um, his first game, <laughs> since he's come to the club, uh, everyone's kind of excited about him. It's a big, uh, big name or group, watching him when he was at Liverpool and at Barcelona. Um, so, yeah, when I got the assist for him, um,
10: even better, really. Thank you for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, when Jacob Ramsey used to watch Philippe Coutinho at Liverpool, <laughs> Ramsey was yeah. probably about 12 years old. <laughs> um, that's what dreams are made of. That's what he said there. That's what it's all about for Absolutely. a kid like Ramsey. And, and
3: I love that contrast of what Aston Villa are doing. So... Good quality operators who come in. Lucadina's a, a quality buyer. And Philip Coutinho, they end up buying him $45 million back. It could be good business. But the, the academy at Villa, they won the FA Youth Cup, I think it was last season. Young players, Chukwomenka and Ramsey today, you have all got brothers apparently in the system as well. It's that kind of mix that, that takes club on and, and buys fans in even more because you've got some of your own who are going to learn from great players. But we saw second half... A bit of spirit about Villa. And, and I think Steven Gerrard, since he's gone into the football club, it's the biggest thing that stood out to me is Steven Gerrard can affect games. At half-time and with his substitutes, he affects the out- outcomes.
2: Yeah, he wants to get a mix, doesn't he, between the youngsters mm. and a few older pros as well. And there's nothing better for a fan than a, a local mm. boy yeah. done good. Yeah. Let's talk about Manchester yeah. United. Biggest problem right now facing Ralph Ragnick is what, Dan?
4: Leadership, organisation. Um, that, that's the big problem for me. When, when you look at Guardiola and you look at Klopp, the style that Ragnick wants to play is very similar. High pressing, being organised, making it difficult for the opposition to play. The difference is, though, when I look at Liverpool and look at Manchester City, they've got game managers on the pitch. They've got the Van Dykes, the Hendersons, the Fabinos, the, the Rodries, the Diaz, the Gundawans, people that can dictate the tempo, people that can manage the game from on the pitch. United don't have that. United are got some wonderful individual players, but that's what they are, individual players. In order to be successful in any way, shape, or form as a football team, it doesn't matter what style you're playing, you have to have a collective. And I don't see that at Manchester United at the moment. And that goes, when you're winning 2-0, you shouldn't let that slip. But the fitness levels, the the, the lack of the organisation allows opposition back into games.
3: Yeah, at 2-0, the game should have been done and dusted, yeah. Rebecca. And, and that's the bigger picture here for Ragnik and Manchester United they're chasing fourth spot. They're six points behind West Ham now. I know they've got two games at hand, but you wouldn't necessarily say they're going to win those two games. They've got to make sure, they've got to start to get things right in terms of the goals, but also the
9: game management. Well, Stephen, a real roller coaster for you. Is the main emotion pride at your team's character and
11: fight back? I think that's a big positive now in the end. Um, I thought second half we improved a lot but it took some uh, honesty at half time um, we had to demand more from the players collectively because for the first 25 minutes um, we were second best um, we didn't commit to what we wanted to do we prepared really in a positive way we wanted to be aggressive on the front foot and really you know, jump on Manchester United we thought it was an opportunity there but credit to them they were better than us uh, throughout the first half but I, I feel uh, the first goal we've the come off the back of us being passive and second best and um, giving corners away and silly fouls. So we certainly deserved to be in the position we was at half time. And um, from there it couldn't it couldn't be any worse. So I expected us to be better. I expected the reaction and credit to the players. You know, it got worse at 2-0. We could have went under at that point, but we never, we rolled our sleeves up. We 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 were aggressive, we We were winning duels, we were on the front foot and it was much more like I want Aston Villa to play and we got something out of the game.
5: Were you
9: really surprised by that first half or certainly that first 25 minutes because with the new sign-ins, with the way you played on Monday night it seemed ripe for a really fast start and a great atmosphere but as you've said already, it didn't happen that way. Yeah, I was a bit surprised because we prepared well, we, we've been aggressive in
11: training all week, we analysed the game on Monday night and we took a lot of positives in, in how we played, but at the end of the day we lost the game, so I expected the reaction that I got at half-time from the first whistle and I believe if we would have got that throughout the 90 minutes we might have been taking more than a point away. So what was,
9: give us a flavour of what half-time was like in your dressing room.
11: Listen, just to be honest with the players, you know, when you're playing against Manchester United and, and, and good players, if, if you're second best, if you're passive, uh, if you don't take the break off and commit to the game and leave it out there, you'll get picked off, they'll play around you and they'll score goals. So um, we needed everyone to commit to what we wanted to do and that was to be aggressive with our home. You're seeing the reaction of the crowd when they see people winning duels and tackles and putting the body on the line. And all our good stuff and our good play... Come off real honesty, and we didn't have it in the first 25 minutes.
9: So, when their second goal goes in, you're on the touchline with Phil Coutinho stood mm. next to you. He's just thinking it's just a little bit too late, it's going to be too much for him to affect the game now.
11: No, I'm just thinking I need to change something um, I thought that goal was slightly harsh on us because we improved after the break it was a lot more like us and how I wanted to look um, but when you've got a player like Phil behind you and you're 2-0 down you know you, you want to throw something different at it I thought Carney come on showed real power for an 18 year old kid uh, Courtney's playing right side centre back who's left footed, the elder's zone so the subs tonight were really positive uh, Luca Dean was fantastic throughout the 90 minutes Phil has a cameo and um, we scored two goals but the, the, the slight disappointment I've got is the first-half performance. Um, it, it was a bit of a surprise because of how we prepared for the game.
9: So, Philippe Coutinho, you did say he was
11: still good. He is good. Listen, you, you don't lose talent. I think the, the key thing for Phil is he needs to be in a place where he feels loved and supported. He needs to be smiling and enjoys football. I think anyone who goes to work and they're not enjoying themselves or in a positive place, it's difficult to perform and be at your best. He's 29 years of age. Um, he's won all kinds of different things and he's still got that hunger to play and and contribute Um, once we get him fitted and stronger I've got no doubt he can create and score
9: goals for this team how important do you think the fast start he's made today could be. I think the Villa fans were already behind him, he's a massive signing, but just for him, he's come in and he scored immediately. I'm sure
11: he'll be, he'll be feeling really positive. I thought he was brave for the goal. He was involved in the first goal as well, so he's had the impact that he probably dreamt of. When I've shouted for him to come onto the pitch, he's probably thinking, you know, can I do something to impact the game? So he should be really pleased with himself. It's not just bringing Philip Coutinho and Luca Dean, the level of players in, it's what it does for other people. You know, Carnies and JJs and young talents playing around these top-level players. That's what we want, because it'll help their development. What did you make of Jacob Ramsey today? First half, um, a little bit it, if I'm honest. And um, we, we, we told them that, but I got the reaction I expect. He's a good professional, he's a great kid. He's going to be a top player. But there's still a lot of stuff to work with. Second half, he was outstanding. He was aggressive. He was positive. Got a goal and assist. You can't ask for more than that.
9: Just before we finish, can I just go back to the substitution you made and the second goal? Were you going to do something different and then you changed who you are going to sub? It was going to be Ings. You changed the Sansom and because yeah. the match situation changed? Yeah, we
11: did. We did change, yeah. We you know, didn't want to send a signal around the, the, the stadium in terms of being negative two nil down. It was, it was a case oh, taking a goal
9: scorer of off.
11: Being as aggressive as we can, trying to leave our goal scorers on the pitch for that a little bit longer. And um, that was the idea behind it. And
9: he looked very angry when he was taking off Morgan, but I presume that's more the mistake than you you taking him off.
11: I asked him that question straight away after the game and listen I've got no issue at all with players making mistakes because they're making mistakes trying to do what I'm asking them to do so that's on me just as much as them the mistakes are no problem um, and he, he assures me that the reaction was on the back of that so I have no issue um, and I only would have had an issue if it was a reaction over something else
9: I thought you made a just last one you made a b-line I think at full time for Emmy Martinez just to reassure him that good players make mistakes
11: yeah you know people will talk about Emmy's mistake but a goal was coming because we were second best and we weren't good enough for the first 25 minutes. We had to defend three corners. We were giving fouls away. We were getting caught in between people. We weren't making tackles. So the mistakes come off the back of a collective poor performance, if you like. So I've got no problem with mistakes. Um, players are fine to make mistakes if they're trying to do the right thing. We, we, we'll take that on the
1: chin. Thank you. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?
2: And we were supposed to have the North London Derby kicking off today at 11.30 Eastern. Unfortunately, news yesterday that the Premier League had agreed to the request put in on Friday by Arsenal to have the game postponed. Arsenal say they have an insufficient number of players to fulfil the fixture. The Premier League thought about it overnight and agreed with them yesterday. And so that game adds to the other 20 that have now been postponed due to COVID-related issues. Tottenham, though. Not happy statement yesterday. We regret to announce the Sunday's North London derby against Arsenal has been postponed. This follows an application from Arsenal to the Premier League on the basis of a combination of COVID, existing and recent injuries and players on international duty at the Africa Cup of Nations. We're extremely surprised, they say, that this application has been approved. The original intention of the guidance was to deal with player availability directly affected by COVID cases, resulting in depleted squads that when taken together with injuries would result in the club being unable to field a team. We do not believe it was the intent to deal with player availability unrelated to Covid. We may now be seeing the unintended consequences of this rule. It's important, they say, to have clarity and consistency on the application of the rule. Yet again, fans have seen their plans disrupted at unacceptably short notice. Good morning. Welcome inside our studio this Sunday morning. I'm Rebecca Lowe, Robbie L. Danny Higginbotham alongside me to get into all the news that's going around Mm. the Premier League. And this very much is at the top of so many people's agenda. And Robbie, I think what has frustrated not just Tottenham fans, but and worried actually Premier League people is that there was just one COVID case, Martin Odegaard, Mm. for Arsenal before the Premier League took their decision, actually since they've had another positive test. But I think the reason why this has been postponed is they had... Four players at the African Cup of Nations, mm-hmm. one suspension in Granite Xhaka, six potential injuries. But yeah. let's not forget, they also sent two players out on loan, yeah. Ainsley, Maitland, Niles mm. to Roma and Foller and Balogun to Middlesbrough, which, is, of course, was Arsenal's decision. Yeah. So when you take all of that into account, and we have had t- games called off because of seven or eight COVID cases, yeah. Yeah. just the one COVID case, how do we analyse this?
3: <sighs> it, it, difficulty, Rebecca, and, and it's for the, one of the first times doesn't reflect well on, on the Premier League. Obviously, keeping the Premier League going in COVID is a real difficult thing. And in the past, the Premier League have done a brilliant job at that. I have to say in recent times, we've had 21 postponements so far this season. Now, as you talked about early on, it was like COVID cases, five, six and seven, can't get a team out, the game's off. I think we all understood that. This almost feels like we've come to a time where this is different, where there's almost a situation where teams are manipulating what we're doing. And when you talk about the Premier League, I've been fortunate, I've travelled around the world, people love its integrity, people love its purity, people love the intensity, people love that we don't have a winter break and for nine months you've got a slog and then we get at the end of our Premier League table. And I'm just a little bit concerned that some of that integrity starts to be questioned. And... I don't ever want to get into a stage where we look at the end of the season and a Premier League table and say, hmm, they finished there because they got those games called off around the January-December time, and that would be a bad reflection on the Premier League. So I just hope they can wrestle back a little bit of the power and we can get to playing games on a regular basis again and not this kind of somebody's ill, somebody's gone African a Cup of Nations, somebody's suspended. It, it just doesn't look, doesn't feel right.
2: Now what's important to say here is that many people are saying, mm. well, they should just play their under-twenty-threes who had a game on Friday yeah. night and put them in. The problem is it's not actually Arsenal's fault. The problem is that the ruling from the Premier League is that they want thirteen outfield players plus a goalkeeper mm-hmm. to fulfill a fixture. And then the Premier League themselves don't recognise under-twenty-three players who haven't had an appropriate amount of experience as being okay to play in the Premier League. So if the Premier League themselves are saying we don't recognise recognise those players, why would Arsenal say, come on, all yeah. those under-twenty-threes who no one's ever heard? of, come and play against Tottenham in the North London derby.
4: Yeah, think, things need to change and let's not forget it's called the, the Premier League 2. <laughs> you know, So you, you're wanting to produce younger players to then come and play in the first team, as Arsenal have done. What you have to do now is, because it's happening with a number of clubs now, you've got to try and come up with a solution. And I was thinking about it last night, you know, what could the solution be? And I came to the conclusion that, You know, in an ideal world, what you would do, you would turn around to a club and say, right, okay, you've had this game called off. And there's a number of teams that have done it. We're not just not just Arsenal. A number of teams have done it. And what I would be saying is the rearranged fixture after the initial one was postponed. The only players that can play in that game are the players that were missing due to Covid. So if you're away in the African Cup of Nations, you can't play in it. If you were injured, you can't play in it. If you're new signing, you can't play in it. And I honestly think that will put a stop to all of this because let's be realistic, the only reason the Arsenal game has been called off is because Jaka got sent off on Thursday. Other than that, it would have been the same squad. Obviously, I know we're saying about the another Covid case, but that was after the request was made. So something needs to be sorted and needs to be sorted quickly because it's just becoming a farce at times. And
2: just finally, do you think the anger at this North London derby being postponed will now force the Premier League to change their approach?
3: I, I think, Rebecca, there's been criticism from all sides. And, uh, yeah, I do. I just think the Premier League will feel that they need to be more in control of what's happening. And, and just a, a quick point to make. This isn't just a criticism of Arsenal. Mm. No. Because there's many clubs, top, bottom and middle, who've used this to their advantage as well.
2: And there'll be many clubs thinking we can now use this to our advantage if Mm -hmm. we haven't before. And that's what, of course, needs to change. One other story that's been developing overnight. Manchester United went to Aston Villa yesterday and put eight players on the bench. They could have put nine, but they didn't fill that final position. Now, after the game, there was no Anthony Martial in the squad. And after the game, Ralph Ragnick was asked about it. He said this direct quote, Martial didn't want to be in the squad. He would have been in the squad normally. He didn't want to be. And that's the reason why he wasn't with us. Well, overnight on his Instagram stories, and by the way, this is still there. You can still go and have a look at this. Anthony Martial responded with this. I will never refuse to play a match for Man United. I've been here for seven years and I never disrespected and will never disrespect the club and the fans. Somebody, Danny Higginbotham, is not. Telling the truth. What is going on here?
4: It's so difficult because nobody knows for definite who is telling the truth. But at the moment, it sums the football club up. It sums the culture of the football club. It sums the dynamics. It sums off the pitch, on the pitch. And it's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. I go back to and I know it's a long time ago, but we're still talking about characters. As a young player, when I was fortunate enough to travel with the first team, you'd be in the dressing rooms after a game, and sometimes they might have won two or three-nil. And they were going toe-to-toe of each other. The players. The, the players were. Because there is... They demand more off each other. Now, if Martial has done what Ragnick is saying, a dressing room that is strong, that is united, doesn't allow this to happen. This would not happen at Liverpool. This would not happen at Manchester City. Yes, we know what's happened with Lukaku, but he's not saying potentially that he's refusing to play. He's done an interview... And it just stinks of where Manchester United are at the moment. It's a huge problem. And that's, like I say, not just on the pitch, off the pitch. They are years behind other teams. And things like this are going to happen. And it just adds to the pressure on the football club, on the manager, on the players, and just the situation that they're in. And it, it's, it's just a situation that's just not acceptable for a club of that stature.
2: Well, if Antti Martial has refused to play. It's an easy solution because he can just be sent off and he doesn't want to play for Man United. We know that anyway, long term. He can be left out. But if Ralph Ragnick is saying that he's refused to play when he hasn't, that's a bigger
0: problem. It was
3: a real difficult one, Rebecca. And he said, she said, who's right and who's wrong. It's difficult for us to to make comments on. But the the reflection on this football club is is what is at stake here. And, And the culture, the environment, Rebecca, that, that this would come out. Now, if Anthony Martial has refused to play for this football club, people say, oh, well, get him out. I'd keep him there for six months. He wouldn't play him with the kids because I wouldn't want my kids near him. And I'd make it difficult for him for the next six months. He'd train morning and afternoon every day while he picks his ways up. And then I'll get rid of him in the summers, if, if that's wrong. But if Ralph Ragnick has come out and said this about a player who hasn't refused to play with we're in a really dangerous situation. Manchester United are in a really d- dangerous situation. At the moment, anti-Martial is surplus to requirements. But if, if a manager says that to him, there's going to be fallout with players who are playing at that football club, and that has bigger connotations. And for Manchester United, this great football club, to, to air this in, in public, and, and I don't like to do this, but we go back to Sir Alex Ferguson, who ran this football club, with great efficiency and to great success, this would never happen. This would never even have, have come out. And Ragnett will have a problem, Rebecca, because for the six months he's in charge of the dressing room and the two years he's supposed to consult, if he's come out and said that about a and it's not true, I don't think there's any future for him at the football club.
2: In a word, where are they now compared to where they were under Solskjaer? Better off, worse off, or the same? In a word. <sighs>
4: oh, worse.
2: We've had some breaking news throughout the course of our show this morning. Everton have fired Rafa Benitez. He was six and a half months into a three-year contract. Yesterday, Everton went to Carrow Road to play Norwich, who've been struggling. Hadn't actually scored a goal, in Norwich, since November. Yesterday, they scored two against Everton. Everton lost by two goals to one. The board met last night, and in the last couple of hours, it was announced via Everton's website that they have now fired Rafa Benitez. So he came in following the departure of Carlo Ancelotti, who went to Real Madrid. Six points they've picked up since the start of October. So they are rock bottom of the form league. Just one win in their last 13. They're in 16th position right now. Six points above the relegation zone. We will bring you post-match reaction from Anfield after Liverpool's win against Brentford and talk about that game, plus bring you the highlights from both matches today. But we've got to reflect on the breaking news. And Danny, I'm going to come to you first. Mm -hmm. So Rafa Benitez fired from Everton. What's your overall reaction to the situation at that club?
4: Same old, same old. Six Premier League managers in in eight and a half years since David Moyes left. Um, Obviously spent a lot of money in that time. Um, Benitez, when he got the job, there was obviously a lot of people against it. You speak to Everton fans, they'll say, yes, we support Everton, we don't support Benitez. Had a good start, but then the problem that he had was that after the good start, I think it was three three wins and a draw in his first four. He he has a specific style, which to a certain extent, you could say he's probably now getting outdated in, in the modern game. The problem was he had injuries then to key players that enabled him to play that he wanted to play to give him the good start, but he carried on regardless. And that, for me, was an issue. Then Marcel Brands goes, which was a big decision. It was either going to be Benitez or Brands. Marcel Brands goes. He's probably been the scapegoat for a while. All of a sudden, Benitez takes charge. He's got more authority. Dina goes. Two new players come in for over $20 million each. Now he's been sacked. So it's... Same old, same old for Everton, unfortunately.
2: That's what's so strange, Robbie, about the situation. As you say, Marcel Brands <coughs> has gone so the yeah. club-backed Rafa Benitez in that one, What, yeah. beginning in December. Mm-hmm. Luca Dina, one of their best players, the club-backed Rafa Benitez over Dinia who was sold on Thursday yeah. and played for Villagers yesterday. Mm. And now today, Rafa Benitez has been fired after yeah. giving him so much yeah. power.
3: Mm. We, uh, the football club's in a mess, Rebecca. And, and the football's also in a mess because sometimes we see hirings and, and firings and, and people go... But this is, this is, and people will know who are in England around the football team, this is a special football club. This is a club that potentially top six. It's going to have a new stadium in 2025. It's got an owner that will put money in. It's got a fan base that's global. It, it could be a great job, yet it's in a mess. It's in a position where I think it will struggle to attract the kind of people they would want, because it's not a job I don't necessarily think that everybody would, would jump at. Of course, there'll be, be, be candidates, and... Rafa got himself in a situation where Marcel Brand threw him overboard, Lucadinha threw him overboard, and then you lose to Norwich, one win in 13, it's on you as a manager, and you look around, and there's nowhere else to go. He, he basically had to go after that, after that result yesterday.
4: The, the, the problem that you have as well is that throughout all the managerial changes, there's been no consistency, there's, no, there's, there's been no idea of what Everton's identity is. You know, they, they don't have a specific style, they don't have a specific brand to the point where yesterday you look at the Norwich game, within that squad there was players from <coughs> five different managers. You bring another manager in, he's probably got his own ideas again, so then you've got a number of players that are playing in the first team that probably couldn't or wouldn't want to adapt to beneath style. It's, no, it's brand manager. that
3: guy wasn't he Danny and, and, and obviously there was a power struggle and Rafa got him out. So, you know, who's running this football club? Is it the guy you put in charge of the football or you're going to have that technical director that says this is what we're going to
4: do? I also think that Brands was probably made redundant to a certain extent under Ancelotti because Ancelotti is very much his own man. And then what's happened is I think they've, they've got themselves to a point this season where it was like, we need a scapegoat, we need to get rid of somebody. And Marcel Brands was probably happy to go because he's getting all the, all the negative criticism for the plays that have been brought in. And in all reality, I'd say, under Benitez and under Ancelotti, he had nothing to do with the signings.
2: How do the Everton fans now trust this board <clears throat> to make That's the decision yeah. on who next comes in?
3: It's got to be the kind of decision that, wouldn't say appeases the fans, but is, is right for the football club, that has a longer-term plan and a long, longer-term vision and can ignite this football club to back where is it is.
2: OK, let me give you some names that are already coming yeah. out. Lampard. Yeah. Wayne Rooney.
3: Yeah. Graham Wayne, Potter. Wayne Rooney is, is a bit Ollie, a bit sort of, for me, a bit romantic. A bit early in the, in the day for him, doing a brilliant job at Derby. Frank Lampard, not quite sure it's the right fit for him. Graham Potter, I like. I'll throw a couple, one, two at you. I'll throw in Ralph Hasenhuttle at Southampton. And I'll throw one more of a man over in Italy who loves playing English football, Jose Mourinho.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh! Jose! Jose
2: Mourinho. Is that not similar to Rafa Benitez? Somebody that possibly is outdated, that comes back and tries again.
3: Mm. In a way, but... he would bring something back to this football
4: club that it's, that it's missing. Ah, oh, you got the,
2: a little bit of Jose in the Premier
3: League.
4: The issue is, is that we all know the history of, of, of Everton. We know how well supported they are. We know what a great club it is, is in terms of the outside looking in. It's not as attractive. As it once was.
3: It's not attractive at all. No. To if, if you're an ambitious manager... Really? It's not as, yeah, as ambitious. A yeah, wonderful a new
2: stadium, Everton yeah, You've got to get up. there
3: first. Yeah, you've got to grab, They'll have two more managers, people, <laughs> people, now and then. Fair point. And, and you look at someone like a Graham Potter, whose star is rising, who I think should be on the radar. He's got a gamble. Can I go in there and clear things up and get this thing right and start playing the football that we know we can and start having success?
4: Who do you want? Graham Potter, you look at and you think it's brilliant. I wouldn't leave Brighton for Everton if I'm Graham Potter. You've got to be careful. You have to be be careful of your reputation. Graham Potter's reputation is soaring. The mess behind the scenes at Everton, you can be one of the best managers around, but if things aren't great behind the scenes, then you don't stand a chance. It's as simple as that.
3: So I I would. Graham Potter would be my number one choice. And if I'm Graham Potter... As good as things have gone at Brighton, I'm going away. Because
2: if you don't take the Everton job as the Brighton manager... Yeah. I mean, Brighton fans were, were, were booing him not long ago. Uh, if he doesn't take the Everton yeah, job, then right, arguably yeah. he'd look back the, on that and be like, oh my God, why did well, I take the Everton job? then waiting for
3: one of the big six. And is he going to get one of the, the big six?
4: The problem oh, is, as a manager, you're only as good as your last job. That's it. So we look at a former Everton manager. Left Everton, unbelievable. Goes to Manchester United... His managerial reputation is decimated in under 10 months. But
2: he's built it back up, David Moyes. He's built it
4: back up, but how long's it taken him? Graham Potter now has built this scenario where he's at Brighton, where he'd be like, OK, I can do to a certain extent what I want to do here. My next step has to be, has to be the right step, because if he goes to Everton and it doesn't go according to plan, which there's every chance of that happening, then everything that he's done, his reputation just goes down. And that's why I think managers will think twice about going to Everton. What about Rooney? Like Robbie says, the the, uh, uh, the the Solskjaer scenario, too soon for him, in my opinion. I think he, he's going to be a wonderful manager in time to come, but I think it's too soon for him.
2: OK, well, it looks like they're going to give it to Duncan Ferguson in a caretaker capacity, mm. uh, certainly until they've decided to make their move. And Duncan Ferguson knows all about that job. He has done it before. Everton now looking for a new job, a new manager. Um, Liverpool have beaten Brentford today. We enjoyed seeing that mm. three-goal victory for Liverpool. How important... Yeah. For them, really. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't brilliant from Liverpool, but no. got the job done. Got
3: the job done. The goal just before half-time, the backer changes the game. It brightens t- uh, Brentford's tactic of, of being deep, trying to break. Then always has to change a little bit. Liverpool opened up into th- the second half. Um, from Liverpool's point of view, clean sheet, three goals, keeps the gap down well, to Manchester City. Could be, what, eight points if they win the game in hand, hand. That gives them a chance.
2: From Brentford's perspective, what will Thomas Frank be taking away from that today?
4: These are bonus games. I know they've done relatively well, but it's been in particular at home against the bigger clubs. So these are bonus games. There's other games which they will look at and say, right, we've got to win these games, but I'm, I have no issue with Brentford. I think they'll be absolutely fine.
2: OK, well, Brentford right now sitting in 14th position, but they have another chance to rise up the table a little bit later on this week. Good day at the office for Jurgen Klopp. And when you look at the next three games, Robbie, it's interesting. Mm. Arsenal are in the League Cup. That second leg is 0-0 yeah. from the first. Palace away in the league, and then Cardiff at home yeah. in the FA Cup fourth round. The two cup competitions, league and FA Cup, mm. neither of which Jürgen Klopp has ever won no. in his time since 2015 at Liverpool. Do you think this little run takes on added importance now that the league is really difficult to win?
3: Yes, and, and to that point of back, I'd also say the Palace game is like a cup game as well. They've got to win it, you know, go and win that game to give a chance of catching City. But the other two are important. League Cup and FA Cup are important competitions, and... Um, Jurgen Klopp at times has not put as much store in those those competitions he's often played weakened teams but he was strong against uh, Arsenal last, last week I think he'll go strong this year to get to a final and I think it, it... Liverpool fans would want their team in domestic Cups and winning domestic Cups as well
4: as challenging for the real big stuff when that comes along.
2: Maybe being a little bit more like Chelsea who just pick up silverware every year pretty much no matter what it is. Yeah,
4: I think so and if you look at the FA Cup game, they beat Shrewsbury at home, think they went behind but the likes of Van Dijk, uh, Canate, Robertson Fabinho played, Firmino came on so you know they they are giving it the importance and obviously like you say, they play Cardiff in the next round so it'll be something that they'll be aiming for I'm sure. Welcome back inside the studio. Paul Burmeister alongside Danny Higginbotham and Tim Howard. So both teams get a point. Tim, I'm wondering, though, which team impressed you the most?
6: Well, you know, too many draws for Brighton. That's their mm-hmm. 11th of the season, but that's the good variety. Um, they impressed me because they they play a certain way. They don't back down. They, you know, Potter is very good tackle He'll change his formation today. He went three at the back. Mm-hmm. He took his wing backs press high. He knew he was going to have to press high, uh, you know, they're, they're a good bunch. They're a resilient bunch. Um, Chelsea just, just seem to get soft at the core. They, they've lost that resiliency that, that we've come to know under, under Tuchel. Um, they're sputtering at the moment. Chelsea just don't seem like they have that, that fire in their belly at the moment. They're
4: soft at the core, yeah. sputtering. Well said, understood. How do you see it? Brian, I thought we're, were excellent. Graham Potter, doing a wonderful job. Um, and, you know, they, they are becoming more efficient now in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. And sometimes when you play against the top teams, you need to ride your luck. You need to have luck. I don't necessarily think that Brighton had mm. that. As, as for Chelsea, probably don't think it's mentioned enough, but when you look at this Chelsea team, there's two huge players missing Chilwell, Reese James. The last time they both played together was Leicester City away, where they were, were fantastic, 1 3 0. Since then, you know They've played 11 games and won only three. Mm. And I think that's the problem. And because of that, due to that, they've become more predictable. There's, there's very little width. So teams are playing compact against them and saying, OK, if you want to go anywhere against us, you can go out wide. There's nobody out wide. So they're trying to go through the middle still. And the opposition have got so many players there, so they're finding it really difficult. So Tuchel needs to come up with a solution at times. I think like he did against Manchester City at the weekend. I think he overthinks things because he's trying to come up with a solution. But as of yet, he hasn't got one. A perspective, I think, on Chelsea is pretty good. They, they've played 23 matches. They've only lost three times. Mm. That's
6: very good. But they're winless in their last four. Yeah. What's kind of gone missing there? Well, Danny, you make a good point there. It's so – with a team that has so many top players, mm. they spent so much money. It's hard to say it's down to one player, one person. But Reese James, as, as the wing back, is so ball dominant. He, he, he ends up – he starts the game as a wing back and then plays the rest of the 90 minutes almost up as, as a winger and in the midfield – he brings players into the game and makes them better. He is such a focal point, and they're missing that. Look, on the other hand, with with Brighton, they they're missing that cutting edge. But it's almost it excites me for this Brighton team because mm-hmm. they take the ball, they're willing they're willing to fight and scrap when it, when they have to. It looks like good football, silky football. They're just missing that little cutting. We saw Danny Welbeck today had a few good chances didn't really hit the target or test the goalkeeper they're looking for that top striker
4: i, th- I think the key thing is when you look at the wing backs. so what you've got with reese james and chilwell the issue that you have when they're not playing is that you have nobody stretching the games in terms of width wise when they're playing the fullbacks get dr- get dragged out and when the fullbacks get dragged out all of a sudden Chelsea can then go through the middle and get three against two in their favor and that's something that they're struggling with at the moment
1: Let's react to the first game that we saw here today. I mean, it is the latest comeback win yeah. that we have seen in the Premier League. Are you still trying to process what we did see there? Yeah, because
6: I didn't think, you know, on the day, I didn't think Tottenham deserved it, but they kept going. They felt they did. Bergvine comes on as a substitute. is exactly what you want. You want energy. You want passion. You want commitment. You know, you, you see them score the two goals and the energy that the, the team showed. They went above Arsenal into in fifth place. They're one point off of fourth. With three games in hand, I mean, the, a, a game where you think Conte is going to get his, his first loss as Tottenham manager, mm-hmm. I mean, they pulled it out absolutely brilliant. You look at both the games, now everything has
4: just squeezed so much. Two points between seventh and fourth, and it's going to be, it's so hard to call. You know, you, you look at Manchester United going to Brentford, you think it's going to be a tough game Manchester United won. Tottenham up until injury time, you're thinking they've lost this game, they come back into it. So it just makes everything more intriguing for that race. We know how important it is for teams to get into the top four, and it's just closed everything
1: right up. If you're Leicester, what are you thinking right now?
6: Uh, you're devastated. When, mm-hmm. when, you, when you lose in that fashion, it really hurts, because I thought I thought they were actually very good and probably deserved all three points.
12: Guys, congratulations, Harry. First of all, um, how did that happen?
6: <laughs> yeah, I don't know oh, what a,
13: what a rollercoaster of emotions that was. Um, I think we uh, overall, I think we fully deserved the victory. To be honest, we were the better side. Uh, disappointing to obviously go two-one down with maybe 15 minutes to go, but we were just creating the chances. Um, and you just got to never, never give up, you know. Uh, this guy come on made a, <laughs> made a big difference. Uh, but to get two goals like that in Superstar time was uh, yeah, games that you'll never forget uh, for the rest of your career, for sure.
12: Yeah, I mean, that's it, Stephen. Look, you, you've been out, injured, you come back, you make an instant impact and a huge one. What did it feel like out there? We saw your celebrations. <laughs>
13: yeah,
9: what Harry uh, said, the rollercoaster of um, emotions, you know. And, of course, uh, yeah, if I come on, I, I want to show myself. And, yeah, today I scored two goals. Yeah, I'm really happy, I'm happy. <laughs>
12: Well, it's a combination that the, the manager has wanted to work, hasn't it, with, with yourselves and with Lucas as well. Harry, you hit both posts. You hit the bar. Most importantly, though, you did hit the back of the net. Eventually, your 250th club career goal. Those are the kind of numbers that you would have dreamed of as a kid, right?
13: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, those landmarks are always nice. I uh, should have had a couple more out there for <laughs> sure today. Uh, I'll be thinking about them tonight. But when you win, it, it doesn't hurt as much. And, um yeah, just like credit to the team, credit to all the boys for not giving up, you know, all the way to the final whistle and, um, yeah, just a, a great night for us.
12: And for you, Stephen, just to be back from injury, how much are you looking forward to now building on this victory, especially with those games in hand and the games coming thick and fast from now on?
9: Yeah, we have a lot of uh, important games Sunday again and, yeah, what Eddie said, we need to build on from this and we showed that we are a team, you know, and we
13: came back from 2-1, uh, so, yeah, we need to go uh,
12: Harry, you can't wipe the smile off your face, can you? I know, I know. (laughs)
13: And full credit to Stevie as well. Um, Not been easy for him injuries, uh, but he's been working hard behind the scenes and credit to him for, uh, obviously, scoring the two goals today, working hard. That's what our team's about, um, putting everyone on the line, whether you're playing, whether you're not playing. So uh, full credit to this guy today.
12: Absolutely. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Cheers. (laughs)
2: That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings, weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. Bye for now.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?